Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to Mornings Without Carmen this morning here for the 15th of March. I'm Dr. Peter Kapser filling in for today and tomorrow for Carmen as she gets some well-deserved couple of days off. And Paul, you and I were talking during some of the breaks and before the show that there are quite a few significant dates happening right now, including yesterday, today, tomorrow, and the 17th as well. And, And Linda Mintel, too, who regularly joins the show. We thought we'd bring her in at this point in time to help discuss a little bit about the importance of yesterday's date, the 14th. You told me 314 was Pi Day, oh, yeah. Paul. Pro. I see. I don't know this stuff. That that it was. There's actually like a Pi Day. Tell us. About well, this. you did flunk out of mathematics, didn't you? Your <laughs> clearly did. Yeah, yeah. I could get to like three letters on Pi, and I thought I don't even know the point of this anymore. Okay, so, three point yes, one four or three four uh, three fourteen. Yep. The pie in in math, of course, people celebrate it by eating pie. Right. So. And of all things, it sounds like our guest coming up here in just a minute, Dr. Linda Mintel, She's is still actually, celebrating. as we speak, she is celebrating Pie Day. Good morning, Linda. Good morning, and I am eating pie. Now, I knew it was the mathematical thing. I knew that was happening. But just to you know, be a part of it, we had wild berry pie yesterday. And I, I'm one of those people from the Midwest who eats leftover pie with, for breakfast with my coffee. It's the best. That, that is an aggressive choice, Linda. Most people are kind of rolling with some protein, you know, to get the. But you're going to go with the sugar spike followed by the sugar crash uh, technique at this point. Yes, and I'm an eating disorder therapist, so I think it's just really <laughs> interesting that I would actually do this. But, you know, everything in moderation, that's our goal right. with eating. And have you ever had pie in the morning with uh, coffee? It's awesome, especially fruit pies. That's the best. Oh, definitely need to give this a shot. <laughs> and, Paul, today, of course, is the Ides of March, and yes. tomorrow is 316, and you're, and you're saying that that is the good news day. That's good news day for John 316, so 316. Or if you're finished, then it's St. Urho's Day. But that's Saint, all right. Yeah, well, we will cover those things tomorrow morning for sure. And I'll actually, I'll try to give my, my best shot at, at a summary verse as, as a paraphrase of John 3.16 tomorrow. But then we have one more day to celebrate as well. And there's some news headlines coming out of Chicago in this. And that is 3.17 is St. Patrick's Day. And my understanding is that uh, the Chicago River may yes. be dyed green. But what's happening? Are they going to do that again this year? Oh, yeah, they're doing it. They're doing it right they, now. They're working on it. They didn't do it so, last year because of COVID, but um, right. that is a tradition. I'm a Chicagoan, and that was a big deal. You you get the river green. This is a massive holiday in the city of Chicago. So, Linda, you're sentimental enough, from what I understand, that just the idea of the river turning green would be enough to make you cry, right, at this point? Well, it would make me feel that I was empathetic to the people who really love that day. And I do love that day. So I don't know if I would cry, but I would feel deeply, which is one of the things we're going to talk about. We are. Let's take a short break. When we come back, Linda, let's talk just about that. Is determining how sentimental or how sensitive we might be, what is an appropriate level of sensitivity, and when maybe has it gone too far? Welcome back again to Mornings Without Carmen. This is Hour 2, and I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for the day. 
Of course, we've already been chatting with Dr. Linda Mental, who hosts the show on the Faith Radio Network as well. And Linda, I am still a little bit dumbfounded, a little bit flummoxed by the idea that you're eating pie in the morning, but it sounds like you actually have the support of our listeners, Paul. We had somebody text in, right? Yeah, good friend Jim from Sinsbury, Connecticut says, wild blueberry pie with coffee, mmm, the best. Well, yeah. <laughs> Linda, Linda, you do have your people right here. My tribe, there you go. But you know what? Even if you mock me, and even if you think it's a bad idea, I'm okay with it. I can handle it. I'm not going to well, be sensitive to this issue. You're not going to be sensitive to this issue. That is the subject of the morning, and there's this headline, at least the, the, the title of the article that you wrote here, is it okay to be a highly sensitive person? And you use the idea when you start this article, Linda, about crying during Toy Story 3, or maybe when Mufasa dies in Lion King. I mean, who doesn't cry at that point, right? right. And so right. tell us a little bit about sensitivity and what, what you're trying to get after here with figuring out if you're overly sensitive or appropriately sensitive. Well, I want to make a big distinction between people who have an, a highly sensitive personality um, as a personality trait versus people who get easily offended. Because I think what we're seeing in our culture right now is a lot of people who get offended by almost everything. I mean, you get offended by Dr. Mm. Seuss, you get offended by anything pretty much uh, these days. That's different than a person who just has, you know, is born with more of a sensitive personality, somebody who feels things deeply whether it's positive or a negative emotions. Uh, this is about, Peter, about 20% of the population that has this sort of deep feeling. And the good news is with that type of personality is people that are highly sensitive tend to be very empathetic. And that's mm. a good thing. We need a little bit more of that in our culture today. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Can you define for us what you mean by empathetic? And and I think maybe even tie it into what you've noticed as a therapist, Linda, that uh, there seems to be some initial data that these 10, 12, 15 years of technology being on our phones all the time has reduced our ability to actually engage with other people. We're almost disassociated in some ways. So maybe kind of tie these different themes together about empathy and sensitivity and what all a, a healthy view of that might be. Well, you know, empathy is just your ability. It's real simple. It's for your ability to put yourself in the shoes of someone else and sort of listen to what they're saying and then maybe relate to what they're saying, feel deeply, listen to it and be able to think, huh, that must be really tough for you. And you're right. With technology, we seem to be losing our ability to do that because we're not having these one-to-one, face-to-face uh, contacts where you really can read the person's nonverbal, you can look into their eyes, you can watch how they respond to things, and you have that ability when you're one-on-one then to maybe put your hand on their shoulder, weep with them, cry with them, whatever's going on with them. And when you're able to do that, there is something that is very, this is this was not in the blog, but it really is a stress reducer, Peter. And it's one of the things I've taught my medical students that If you don't have strong social connection during difficult times, like we've been going through with the pandemic, your stress rate is going to go off the charts because there is a part of your vagus nerve. I won't get I won't go into the science too much, but there's a part of your vagus nerve that really activates when you have connection with somebody, when you're socially engaged with another person. And that part of your vagus nerve actually calms down that sympathetic nervous system, which is where people go into fight and flight, where they get really stressed and they stay stressed. And so the the combination of all of this, of being able to calm yourself down by being connected to somebody, by having the emotional intelligence to see that somebody needs you and you're able to be there with them is, is something that we really have to have more of in terms of just 
the stress that we're all dealing with, and the ability to connect and help people with loneliness. Hmm. Linda, I really appreciate you bringing up this idea of the vagus nerve and the physiology of it. And the reason for that is that yeah, at least in Hebrew thinking and biblical thinking uh, back in the time of Jesus, there was a very much a connection between mind and body and spirit. They all work together. And so when when we have a healthy spirit, when our spirit has been formed in the things of the kingdom, the ways of life in the kingdom, it actually ends up manifesting itself in our physical body on some level. So this idea of becoming an empathetic person, uh, as you're healthy in your heart and, and seeing through the the lens of other centeredness and care for other people, it actually sounds like it creates a bit of physical health in you as well. It does. And and so one of the things that we have to work on, and, and this was something that I did blog about, is if you are one of those highly sensitive people and you you have the benefit of that that we've been talking about, but sometimes you can get very overwhelmed because there's so much pain, there's so much trouble, there's so much bad news when you turn on the news. Um, just a couple of little techniques for people, Peter, that one of the things you can do if you're in the middle of something and you're you're having to perform or you have to be in school or you're at your job and you, you suddenly get overwhelmed with a feeling, one of the best things you can do is just distract yourself, distract hmm. your brain. So you can just count to 10 backwards or you could try to think of four cities that begin with A. The minute you do something very factual like that or something that is very um, pointed to something like counting your feeling part of your brain disengages a little bit. It puts the thinking part of your brain back in charge and it will help you stabilize your emotions. And then the other thing I would say to people, if you're highly sensitive and you feel deeply and you, you, you're having an overwhelming reaction, is just to do what we teach kids to do, which is take a brief time out and go over to a, a part of a, a room or your office and take some slow, really deep breaths. So again, that is a way to calm down that sympathetic nervous system that activates the stress. And you can you can do that by just taking a time out, maybe praying, focusing your mind on the Lord, and then take those deep breaths, and you'll be able to begin to regulate that really overwhelming feeling. Hmm. Linda, as we become more appropriately empathetic, not overwhelmingly so, but more appropriately, as you referenced, thinking about what life must be like for another person, is there a flip side of this coin that we also become the kind of person that access things like wonder and laughter that much easier in our life? Because it seems like once you open up the gate to certain parts of your heart, that other parts begin to naturally follow as if they're different sides of the same coin. Yeah, I love that because um, it's really it's really what we're talking about is just really being human and connecting with people. And when you do that on any level, it does open you up. It does make you more um, almost creative. That's that's maybe that's a little bit far. But, you know, when you're not afraid, you're not defensive, you're really trusting somebody, you're listening to what they're saying, then you open yourself up for way more experience uh, in a good way. And sometimes that's where people brainstorm things, they think of new things, they have more fun because they're not being defensive all the time. So you can have laughter and fun and all of those things are ways that we ramp down the stress in our lives. And I think that's one of the things that has been so hard during the pandemic is that lack of um, you know, group interaction where we're with people and we're laughing, we're talking, we're sharing, we're basically doing the name of my show, doing life together, <laughs> right? Um, because we, we need that. And you're right. It starts all the way back from the Bible, where Jesus was so um, specific about getting groups together and had a band of disciples. Did he need them? No, he didn't need them to do his work. But 
he thought it was a good idea to have community and engage with each other and encourage one another. So really important stuff to dealing with stress these days. Mm, very helpful. And Linda, so you're the therapist. Uh, Paul and I are the clients this morning. And uh, you got to tell us if we're overly sensitive, because I will certainly cry uh, in that scene in Moana, the Disney movie, when she sort of realizes who she truly is and sings this beautiful anthem, uh, crying out at the end of it that I am Moana. And, and Paul has revealed that he will cry at the seeming death of the beast and beauty of the beast. Even, when, uh, when, don't even get yes, me when, started on that. When, really. when, I mean, right, Linda, when that last rose petal falls in the little jar representing sort of the life force of the beast, Paul turns into a blubbering mess. Are we overly uh, are we overly sensitive in this moment or is this appropriately so? I think this is so appropriate. I think I'm, I'm encouraged that there are men listening uh, that need to hear this, <laughs> that, you know, real men do cry as well. And the, the sympathy, seriously, the one that gets me is the war horse uh, movie where the horse is entangled. It's like, I can't take it. I've just watched a whole bunch of people die <laughs> in war and I'm okay with all of that, which is probably terrible. But when that horse gets trapped and that horse go, oh, it's like too much. So there are moments that it tugs on our heart and we need to, we need to be sensitive to things like that and allow that kind of thing to happen. It's good modeling for kids to see grown men cry as well. So uh, I don't know how much I'm getting paid for that little consult, but <laughs> well, well, send us send us the bill. Paul and I will certainly uh, we will certainly pay later this week, Linda. So we got to take a short break. When we come back, let's change the topic because there's another very intriguing topic that you've been talking about, and that is the blame game. I know it's stuff that you've covered before, but how common it is that we blame other people for our existing situation and how unhealthy that is. So another step towards health is starting to take responsibility for our own actions. That's Dr. Linda Mintel. We'll be back in a minute here on Mornings Without Carmen. Be our guest. Be our guest. Put our service to the test. Tie your napkin. Oh, I love it, Linda. We're getting back to Paul Perot's uh, favorite <laughs> Disney movie right here. But you said that your daughter danced to Beauty and the Beast or something some 17 yeah. times? She's a, she, she's a dancer. She was actually a very highly competitive dancer. And she did musical theater, which we all loved. And so, yeah, she was in the, she was the magic carpet. She had to do all these gymnastic <laughs> things. She was a fork, dancing fork. She was all kinds of stuff in that movie, in that, in that uh, stage play. So I saw it a lot. And I was, as soon as I heard the first note of that song, I was singing with it already. <laughs> oh man. And there's nothing worse than Disney music, especially for those of us that have a little bit less melatonin at our ages, right? You wake up in the middle of the night and those songs are stuck in your head for weeks at that point. Let it go. If I hear that one more time, I don't know what I will do. <laughs> That's so great. Well, hey, you wrote a pretty interesting uh, blog as well about the idea of blame. I'm sure that you see it in your therapy practice. A lot of times that people come in and there's something that is a bit toxic in their relationships or things that are difficult. And I've got to believe that few and far between are the people that say, yeah, you know what, this whole thing, or at least a part of this is my responsibility. It, it's very easy to turn and blame somebody else or some circumstances around us. So tell us about maybe what's part of the human condition in this and, and maybe even some of the downsides side of negativity of being a person who blames other people for your own trouble. Well, I just want to I just want to point out that during the break, you blame me for uh, being more concerned about the horse than the people in the world. So <laughs> I just want to see how easily that is. But indeed, you know, indeed, <laughs> you're right, Peter. It's it's very toxic in relationships, and it was one of the things I wrote. If you can get rid of this in your re relationship hmm. and stop it, it's probably going to make a massive difference in the health of your relationship. Here's the thing: when when you don't take responsibility, when you're constantly pointing the finger at people, you really do push the other person away because 
nobody likes that pointing finger at them. And it makes the person defensive. It makes them uh, feel like, you know, they don't really understand who they are. And it doesn't do what we think it does, which is motivate someone to change. So, you know, you see this in couples work all the time where people come in, they're hurt, they're wounded, they're very angry. And all they do is lash out at the very person who they they want to have a good relationship with. And I sometimes do reframe this in therapy and say, you know, on some level, the fact that you are kind of lashing out and blaming the person right now means in some way that you might trust them enough that you can do this and they'll stick around. But if you do this over and over, it's not going to have that effect. And in fact, it's probably one of the reasons why people distance and then they eventually don't stay together. So it's not something that you want to continue to do because it really will erode the trust. And we know that trust is one of the the building blocks, one of the pillars. Trust and commitment to a relationship are two of the most important things that you can continue to build on. So we know it's been around for a long time. I mean, the first couple, and and I don't mean uh, Joe and Jill at this point. Um, I mean <laughs> Adam. They uh, you know, they started it right in the garden. And um, we saw how quickly and easily when they were called to accountability, their instinct was to blame and to blame uh, each other. And and, uh, it's still going on today. So we really have to get aware of the fact that we're doing it and then make a lot of effort to stop. But boy, our culture sure doesn't provide a good model for that. Hmm, that's really true. And how do we how do we parse out the difference, Linda, when we're suffering in some way or we have difficulty in our life in some way, and it's actually somewhat objectively legitimate, meaning that somebody perpetrated something upon us and, and we legitimately are hurting and suffering as a result, say something as devastating as an affair in a marriage. Uh, mm-hmm. h- how do we avoid becoming overly toxic in our blame, but also recognizing that, hey, look, I'm experiencing these emotions, these feelings, this devastation, and that wasn't me. That was a, a purely result of what you did. So how do we discern when we should be taking more responsibility for our own situation versus, hey, look, this was just a truly difficult thing? Yeah, well, you almost demonstrated it just a moment ago when you just said it. You you said it in a really good way that you don't want to not acknowledge problems in a relationship, right? So there are problems in with couples. There are problems in families. There are things that have to be discussed. The biggest part is how you do that. And you start with a gentle startup when you're trying to have a conversation about something that's been hurtful. You don't start off by pointing the finger and saying you, because again, your goal is to have the other person listen and and hopefully make a change. And that doesn't start the conversation off with any kind of hope because you're making the person defensive. So you have to bring it up and you, you do it just like you started to say, there's something that was very hurtful to me. This is how it impacted me. This is how I felt. And this is what I'm feeling. And then you wait and see what the other person has to say about it. So nothing about what I just did intimates that you should not bring up problems. You definitely have to bring up especially serious issues. But it's the way couples learn to talk about stuff. You know, we've I've, I've talked about in, in one of my books I put out that 69% of um, difficulty conflict with couples never gets resolved, but still couples stay together. So what is that factor? Why is it that they don't get to the problem? They don't get it resolved, but they still stay together. It's because of the way they are talking about the problems. You might not ever get agreement with somebody, but if you can have the person take responsibility and talk to you in a way that's respectful, that's honoring, 
that talks about your feeling and how the behavior is affecting you and then give them some moments to try to respond to that, that's going to go a long way to make your relationship better. Yeah, it's great stuff as always, Linda. If our listeners are, are wanting to check out a little bit more about either of these topics, empathy or blame and some of the blogs that you wrote, where can they find your work? So drlindamental.com, it's all on my website. The blog is linked there. You just click on the blog. And, and then, of course, I've got a book on conflict called We Need to Talk that relates to all this uh, couples uh, stuff that we're talking about. So either of those, Dr. Linda Mintel. And of course, listen to the Dr. Linda Mintel radio show on Faith Radio Network. We all, we did a show on blame, did a whole show on blame just a few weeks ago. So that's up on the, the website. It's also on the iTunes that they put everything on. So you get lots of ways to get it. No, I love it. Well, you enjoy your wild berry pie. Jim is enjoying his blueberry pie in Connecticut right now. I might grab a little French silk during the break here, Linda. Have a great rest of the morning. <laughs> All right. Take care. Happy right, we'll take a sh- Yeah, we'll talk to you soon, Linda. Thanks so much. You too. Bye-bye. We'll take a short break for some Breakpoint and cover a little bottom of the hour news and come back and preview what's coming up in the last half an hour of this show, Mornings Without Carmen, for the 15th of March. You know, Paul, one of the things that I love that we have a chance to do here on the part of the Faith Radio Network with all of our listeners as well is engage in the reading of the biblical text. The The Bible has certainly been under attack over the last 25, 30 years, even longer, with uh, some critical literature theory suggesting that it's not authoritative, it shouldn't be paid attention to, but it's withstood all of those attacks and, and the authority is there uh, of God's inspired word. And so we have this Mark reading plan yes. uh, in which during this Lenten season, we can we can read the gospel. Mark, tell our listeners just a little bit about that. I know we've referenced it before, but it bears reminding. Okay, we want you to join us and other Faith Radio listeners starting this Saturday, the 20th, reading a chapter of Mark a day for the rest of Lent. And guess what? You land on... Easter Sunday, reading the resurrection story from the Gospel of Mark. So a great way to uh, get into the Easter season by reading the story of Jesus for yourself, kind of like we, we did with the Luke uh, reading back right. during Advent. Well, now we're doing Mark during Lent, again, starting this Saturday. If we start right there, you finish up on Easter Sunday with the final chapter of, of Mark. So more information at, life, uh, at uh, MyFaithRadio.com. Yeah, again, a chapter a day starting on March 20th, this Saturday, and reading through together. And there's something about the power of believers from all around our country uh, reading the text together like that. I'm really uh, grateful that we have this opportunity still in the midst of ever-changing tides in our in our culture, in our country, that we can read the word together in this way. Well, up next here on Mornings Without Carmen, our final guest of the morning is going to be Christy Knuckles. And we're going to talk about her book, The Life You Long For. And this is somebody who experienced a lot of earthly success in her Christian music and other venues and found that maybe some of that success was a little wanting to the soul. And she found a different place of shalom and peace in her heart. So stay with us. More to come with Christy Knuckles here on Mornings Without Carmen. This is Max Lucado. A hero could be next door and you wouldn't know it. The fellow who changes the oil in your car could be a hero in overalls. Maybe as he works, he prays, asking God to do with the heart of the driver what he does with the engine. The daycare worker will you drop off the kids? Perhaps her morning prayers include the name of each child and the dream that one of them will change the world. I know, those folks don't fit our image of a hero. They are too, well, normal. Give us four stars, titles, and headlines. But we seldom see heroes in the making. 
and we seldom recognize heroes, but we'd do well to keep our eyes open. Tomorrow's great preacher might be mowing your lawn, and the hero who inspires that person might be nearer than you think, maybe in your mirror. This is Max Lucado. about 20 minutes for the top of the hour here on the 15th of March. I'm Peter Kapsner filling in for Carmen LeBurge and delighted to be joined at this time by Christy Knuckles, who probably many of you know from conferences like the Passion Conference or the IF Gathering as well. And she's also the former singer-songwriter of the band Watermark, along with her husband, Nathan. Good morning, Christy. Good morning. Great to have you with us. I know you released a book here not too long ago called The Life That You Long For. And Christy, I would say outside looking in, when you look back at your career and the number one hits that you had and, and sort of the fame that you've achieved and the ministry that you've done, how are you possibly writing a book, The Life You Long For, now some 20, 25 years later, when it sure looked like outside, uh, you know, from the outside looking in, that you had almost everything you'd ever want? Oh, well, you know what? This is a book about, you know, 15 years ago, really, when we were called Watermark, uh, we laid down that journey for a time. That was when our kids were little. We just had two at the time. And it was really God calling me actually away from the platform um, to learn how to really live and write and sing and do all these things I was doing for him, but really to do that from him. And so it was this journey of me learning how to live from a heart of rest. You can still work hard from rest. And so that's really what the book is about. And so it's really my story of how God called me away um, a lot of years ago. I believe to keep doing what I am still doing to this day, but doing that from a heart of rest. Boy, it's an interesting statement you're making there, Christy, is to be doing something from a heart of rest. And, and some of these events were happening in terms of the ascent and your popularity and in some of the fame at a pretty early age in life. And, and I would imagine if you can kind of take us into what it was like back then for you, uh, again, what was stirring up in your soul? What was happening as you were getting more popular? It sounds like maybe there was a bit of a deficit going on internally at the same time, which I think is pretty common for a lot of people who are, are achieving fame on some level. Yes, definitely. I believe that God allowed me to hit a wall of exhaustion, honestly, because, you know, I knew that God had given me these gifts and that I was to use them for him. And I was happy to do that. I was doing good things. And I think that most of us are, you know, we're doing good things. But the Lord, you know, showed me, um, I talk about it in my book, I call it my farm table epiphany, because I was just <laughs> in his word one morning. And he showed me that I was doing all of these things for him, but I really didn't know how to live from him. And I was, you know, singing for him, but I didn't know how to sit with him. And so it was really this uh, reordering of my life, I like to say, where God came and valued himself on my behalf, when I had forgotten how to value him above all these things I was even doing for him. And so it was this uh, really amazing um, moment where he met me right where I was and called me actually to come off the road for four years. I laid everything down 
and learned how to just honestly, like kind of started over in a lot of ways Mm. and got out of that exhaustion. And I believe that so many believers and Christians and even pastors are living in exhaustion and living from a place that's not sustainable. And so this book is all about really enduring faithfully, which is what we're called to do, right? And so I hope that it encourages so many, especially believers and pastors and people in ministry, that they can live as God's beloved and learn to even work hard from that place of rest and that place of our true identity. And I think that's what was really wrong was that my identity was so wrapped up in what I was doing that the Lord had to come and untangle that for me and so that I could live from who I really am in Christ. Boy, it's an incredible invitation, Christy, for really anybody, whether they're working in an entertainment industry, uh, something fame or, or on a job, a, a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, a person that is staying at home with their kids, whatever it is, we can be doing those things from a place of deficit or scarcity, or we can be doing those things from a place of rest and abundance. And it sounds like when God called you off of the road, that's some of what you learned. Uh, and, and I'd be curious what you did learn in that four times about what it means to be doing life in the kingdom from that place of abundance. What, what did you learn about God and that that created that reality for you? Yeah, one of the things that he showed me when I, I call it my farm table epiphany that I said before, when I was in Psalm 37, he, he kind of laid out this inside out living Like, what if I live from the bullseye? He kind of gave me this picture of a bullseye in concentric circles. He was like, you're you're not living from the inside out. You're living from the outside in. And I was out in that outermost ring in my life, if you picture like a bullseye or concentric circles. And I was running ragged, but he was calling me to live from the bullseye, from my true identity. And what I love is that one of the most profound things that he showed me is that middle ring is the community of the beloved. So I believe when he was calling me to this order of living from the bullseye, I loved that. Like I would live from that out into the people that he had called around me. So it's people before productivity, it's community before capacity. And I believe that was something I was also really missing in my life that I didn't even know that I was missing. I honestly couldn't see people almost. Because I was so just worried, like, I got to keep the calendar full. I got to keep going. We got to keep, you know, touring and doing all these things, which are all good things. But I didn't have time to be with God's people. I didn't even have time. Sometimes on Sunday mornings, we'd be like, oh, we're tired. You know, we've been, we've been in church all, you know, for the tour. It's like, well, but yeah, we're called to a local body. And so the Lord was showing me again, I think just an order of living from that bullseye from him from my true identity, and then experiencing what it looks like to live in real community and and into our capacity, I believe, as the beloved. But it's quite a statement, Chrissy, quite an admission as well, that somebody that would uh, be up in front of people, but be able to say, gosh, I'm hardly seeing people. And and I would confess as well that at times during early life, when I was involved in a mega church and speaking to to thousands on the weekend, that sometimes I would have this still small voice come and intersect in those times and say, gosh, you think that I should really genuinely, authentically care much more about the people in the community than I care about uh, my own productivity in the kingdom. And, but that's a Mm -hmm. trap any of us can fall into, right? In terms of we base our self-worth, as you said, on productivity. Do you have any insight on why we tend to do that and, and why that is so compelling to us to try to be productive, mm-hmm. to prove something? Or how does this work? 
Well, I truly believe it comes down to the fact that we just have an enemy of our soul. I mean, Satan is, um, all he has to do, honestly, he doesn't have to get more creative with the people of God than just busyness. Mm. Um, I've found that in my own life. And I think that, you know, if there's anything, the pandemic and the quarantine and all that revealed, it was like the pace we were all in and just like, wow, you know, you get all that stripped back and it really reveals a lot. And I think you're forced to like go, okay, why am I in this race? You know, this rat race, not the race that we're supposed to be running, but this other, like trying to hold up all these things that we feel like we're supposed to be doing. And I really do believe, you know, we don't, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We're wrestling against um, an enemy that is, is bound to, to, I think, pick us off. I mean, he doesn't want us to endure faithfully in these days, and it's going to take endurance. And so I believe that we have to protect our ability to live from God, not for him, but from him. And what that looks like in his word and spending time with him, with God, is where that all starts. And I think that's where, you know, God started with me 15 years ago was in his word and learning to commune with him, learning how to talk to him, learning how to live from him every day um, and to combat this this enemy. Um, there's a chapter in the book where I give you a whole scenario of a battlefield in suburbia America that was <laughs> happening in my, in my car. <laughs> I give you the whole thing of just this whole war really that we're in against this enemy who does not want us to know how to live from our true identity. Uh, that's what I want to cover next, Chrissy. We're going to take a short break, and I want to get into how we do move from a place of maybe feeling a bit hollow to the actual idea that we are the beloved, but not just the idea of it living from that place. So the book here that we're discussing this morning is The Life You Long For, Learning to Live from a Heart of Rest. Again, another book that I would highly recommend that can help bring some peace and some substance into the midst of the sometimes hollowness of our life. We'll be back in a minute, Christy, and talk more about your book. It's about eight and a half minutes before the top of the hour, and we are chatting with Christy Knuckles on her book, The Life You Long For. And Christy, we talked before the break a little bit about uh, a word that you've used, and that is the word that we are the beloved, walking out as individuals, but also as a community together as the beloved. And I, I think a lot of believers, at least the students and the young people that I work with, understand theologically the idea that God loves them. But I remember being jarred maybe 20 or so years ago. I was listening to a speaker, Brennan Manning, who wrote a book, Abba's Child, that was really similar to the kind of things that you're talking about here. And he said that theologically, of course, God loves you, but you know that God likes you. And, and that really jarred me because it, it spoke to the idea that God actually does want to be in a relationship with us. And, and so I'm curious what your process was like to move from maybe just the idea that God loves us to, to living out of the place of authentic love coming from the inside out, as you describe. Yeah. Well, I think for me, it actually came through motherhood and, you know, that whole idea that if I love my kids as much as I do, mm. if I'm standing here looking at, at them right now, and even though they've maybe made a huge mess that I'm having to clean up or <laughs> they're you know, keeping me awake at night, um, I just my own adoration for my own children. And I think that was what was so strategic of God at the time was to call me off the road off of touring and all of, of all that I was doing to come and take 
care of my kids. I mean, that was really, he was like, you're going to leave them behind. Hmm. Like come home and take care of them. They were little at the time, thankfully. And I'm so glad he got my attention and that I did because of course I see the fruit of it now that they're 20, 18 and 13. But like, I really think it was through that. It was like him coming, him calling me home to, you know, uh, take care of these kids so that I would learn to also be his kid in that process of just, really learning to see them. I talk about that in the book. Uh, when I, when I, it started with my kids that I learned to see others. And then in seeing others, our friend Matt Redmond says all the time, um, seeing is singing. Uh, when we see God for who he is, we can't help but sing. And I believe it works uh, horizontally as well. When we, when we truly see each other, we sing over each other. And so it started, hmm. you know, that our lives really sing, you know, and, but for me, I talk about just, I literally, it started with singing over my kids at night and that bedtime routine that I used to rush through. It became this time where God would sing over me and I would sing over my kids from my own song that I was hearing over, over my own heart from my father that I just had never taken the time to hear. So I think for me, it was through just my own kids and my own love for them that God revealed his great love for me. It's like, wow, if I feel this way, I can't even fathom. And his word says that, you know, if a father, an earthly father can do these things, then what, how much more does your heavenly father love you and take mm. care of you? Yeah, that's such a good word, Chrissy, especially as we head into the beautiful season of Good Friday and Easter Sunday, that the reason why the heavens rent themselves open and the word became flesh, right, and dwelt among us wasn't because God had to prove something about himself. I just, I think you use the kids example. When we see our kids hurting, we will move heaven and earth that they would be restored. And and I think to see that it was love that rent open the heavens to come after us, as opposed to God sort of tolerating us or, or needing to establish something about himself, it really was for us. And, and that's sounds like part of what you learned in that process. Absolutely. I think about, you know, um, there's a part in the book where it talks about, uh, it's from A.W. Tozer's book called The Pursuit of God, which is one of my favorite books if you've never read it. Hmm. But he talks about um, how looking, looking to God is synonymous with believing on him. And then he says, if that's true, then it remains that looking to him today is one of the easiest things that there is to do. I mean, to just, just lift the eyes of our hearts towards him. But what I love is, is that the, his word says that second Chronicles 69, that his eyes are roaming to and fro hmm. throughout the earth today to, to show, he's seeking to show himself strong to those whose hearts would turn towards him. So I love this, this idea today that when we, when we lift the eyes of our soul and in, in, in our eyes, even our physical eyes, sometimes I just do it. When we lift um, our eyes to him, we find this God who's over the edge of his feet, his eyes roaming to and fro, already looking for a heart that's going to turn towards him today. And so it's like we already find him bent hmm. over his feet. And he's like, who's going to turn towards me today? Well, whose heart is going to, is going to turn towards me today. So he's already seeking us out. And I love that our eyes meet his eyes that are already on us and he's already right. seeking to show himself strong to us today. I love it, Chrissy. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us again. The book is The Life You Long For. I highly recommend it for your listening to enter in to some of what Christy was talking about, the place of abundance as we do our lives. Have a great rest of the morning.
Thank you so much. We'll take a short break and wrap up our show here for the 15th of March on Mornings Without Carmen. Well, great to be with you again this morning here. Some great guests from Lee Camp in the first hour talking about scandalous witness and how we can carve out space as believers in the midst of the political sphere and then wrapping things up with Christy Knuckles and her book, The Life You Long For, Living From That Place of Abundance. Looking forward to tomorrow's show with all of you as well as Carmen is off. I will catch you then bright and early on Mornings Without Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.